Try one more time. Good morning. Very good. Sounds like a, a teacher with the kids. Everybody's got to say good morning. How are you this morning? Glad y'all are here. I trust you've had a good week. Um, this is the highlight of our week. I hope it's the highlight of yours to come in, get an opportunity to see other Christians, um, your family here at Hope Bible, and to enjoy time singing together. Uh, we're going to have a meal together today, which I'm excited about, um, and an opportunity to worship. So I'm, I'm grateful that you're here, and I hope you're grateful as well. So we're going to start our service with prayer as usual. So if you could join us, would you please stand as we have an opening prayer and our first couple of songs in worship. Let's pray together. Father, as we sing this morning, uh, we sing to you. We recognize that every breath we have in our body, every heartbeat, is because you deem it to be so. You have not only given each one of us a life here in this country, in this state, in this city, in this church, um, you direct our footsteps every day. You wake us up every morning with new opportunities, new chances to spend time with you, to listen to your word, to pray, to recognize your presence with us. And nothing greater than that right here as we come together this morning, we expect to Feel your presence to know that as we sing, we're singing uh, some of the songs are a testimony to you and the difference you've made in our lives. Some of them are to you and recognizing that you are the Lord Almighty. And some of them are just, just encouraging to each other to, to think about the joy we have in Jesus Christ. I pray that uh, as we sing this morning, as we hear your word taught, as we get to enjoy a, a meal together, that you would draw us together as a family, as a church that you have made your own and brought us together to be a part of each other's lives. So use the service this morning for all of those things in Christ's name. Amen. So the first song we're going to sing is one of those hymns that is a song of praise to God. Um, praise to the Lord. The Almighty, the King of creation. He is our Father, but sometimes we need to stop and just be in awe of the God who created the universe, the Lord God Almighty. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of Wings 
as a rolling hymn. This, I, really, I really enjoy this hymn. This is, um, I don't even know who, I don't know that it's a famous hymn writer, but it certainly is a beautiful hymn. And when we talk about God the Almighty, our Father, the only reason that's possible is because of the grace that he bestows on us and showed us in Jesus Christ, the wonderful grace of Jesus. Wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall its praise begin? Taking away my burden, setting my spirit free. For the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches. Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus Deeper than the mighty rolling sea Higher than the mountain Sparkling like a fountain All sufficient grace for even me Louder than the stump of my transgressions Greater far than all my sin and shame Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus Wonderful grace of Jesus, reaching to all the lost. By it I have been pardoned, saved to the uttermost. Chains have been torn asunder, giving me liberty. For the wonderful grace of Jesus, reaches me. Wonderful the matchless grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea. Higher than the mountain, sparkling like a fountain, 
all sufficient grace for even me. Father, than this cup of my transgressions, greater God than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus. Praise His name. Wonderful grace of Jesus, reaching the most defiled by its transforming power. Dear child, purchasing peace and heaven for all eternity, for the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. Wonderful the master's grace of Jesus, deeper than the mighty rolling sea, higher than the mountain, sparkling like a all-sufficient grace for even me, broader than the scope of my transgressions, greater far than all my sin and shame. Oh, magnify the precious name of Jesus, praise His Thank you. You may be seated. Next song is a scripture song taken from the book of 1 John, chapter 3, um, verse 1. I'll read verse 1 and 2 because they both go great together. 1 is the one we're going to sing. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given us that we should be called the sons of God. Beloved, now we are the sons of God and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's a great promise. Mm -hmm. Steve talks about the, uh, he likes to talk about this new body we're going to have. It says we're going to be like him. We don't know what it's going to be like, not all of it, but uh, one day we'll be like him. But the, the first verse is amazing. Think about how much God loves you, that you would be called children of God. So I'm going to test your musical skills here today because this is... Around. How many of y'all know what a round is? When he's saying, All right, we got some musicians out there. I expect you to really be screaming this one out. So, what we're going to do is we will do it first twice through all together, just so you know. You, I think you know the song, but when you hear it, you become familiar with it. And then we're going to do men will sing it first, and the ladies will echo with the round. So you got us outnumbered. You got no excuse, ladies. You should be. <laughs> so you follow Sandra and uh, Miss Marcia, and the men. We're going to follow Jeff and I. Okay. So let's sing it through twice together. It's a real easy little song, so that we can learn and do it together. Here we go. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. That we should be called the sons of God. That we should be called the sons of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. 
Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the sons of God, that we should be called the sons of God. That's not too hard, is it? Huh? Doing great. Here we go. So, men are going to start at first. Ladies will sing, Behold what manner, twice. And then the ladies come in the second time. Follow them. Follow them. Follow me. Here we go. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold what manner of love the Father has called the sons of us. Behold the manner of love the Father has given the sons of us. Behold the manner of love the Father has given the sons of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has given sons of us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given sons of us. That we should be called the sons of God. That we should be called the sons of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has given the Son to us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given the Son to us. That we should be called the sons of God. Should be called the sons of God. Very good, very good. You can go home and tell whoever you want to tell. You learned how to sing around <laughs> today. <laughs> Exciting. All right, another scripture song is found in 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. And uh, we got a disclaimer on this one. Marcia told me to put a disclaimer on it because... <laughs> We're singing, which are the words that Paul said. This is like one of the last things that Paul ever wrote in the scriptures. And he was giving his testimony and saying, I have fought the good fight. I kept the faith. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness because I know I did what Jesus wanted me to do. That's not bragging. That's knowing that he was doing what God wanted him to do. And as we sing this song together, the only disclaimer is we need to realize in Galatians 2.20 says, I live for Christ, but it's not me. It's Christ living in me. And the life I live, I live by the power of the Son of God. So even though we're singing, I fought the good fight, and I trust that all of us are fighting the good fight, we all recognize in our hearts, it's not really us. It's Jesus Christ living in us and giving us the power to do it. So I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me. Judge will award to me. 
sing without having a smile on your face because uh, you got to have sunshine in your soul. The, uh, it could be an S-O-N shine and an S-U-N shine, both. <laughs> because as we accept Jesus Christ as he lives in our heart, he gives us things that the world can't give. Peace, faith, and joy. Happiness depends on your circumstances. Joy depends on your Savior. So there's sunshine in my soul today. Sunshine in my soul today, all oh, glorious and bright, that dwells in any earthly sky, for Jesus is my Lord. Oh, the sunshine, blessed sunshine, when the peaceful, happy moments roll, when Jesus shows us his smiling face. There is sunshine in my soul. There is music in my soul today. A carol to my heart. And Jesus listening to hear the songs I cannot sing. Oh, the sunshine, blessed sunshine. When the peaceful, happy moments roll, when Jesus shows his smiling face, there is sunshine in my soul. There is springtime in my soul today, for when the Lord is near, the dove of peace is in my heart, the flowers of Jesus shows his smiling face. 
Today's reading is from Isaiah chapter 51, verses 4 through 11. Please feel free to uh, read along in a Bible you brought yourself, or one in the pew, or uh, just be blessed by listening. Pay attention to me, O my people, and give ear to me, O my nation, for a law will go forth from me. And I will set my justice for a light of the people. My righteousness is near. My salvation has gone forth. And my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands will wait for me. And for my arm, they will wait expectantly. Lift up your eyes to the sky. Then look to the earth below. For the sky will vanish like smoke. And the earth will will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not wane. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, a people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them like a garment, and the grub will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a pathway for the redeemed to cross over. So the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, and everlasting joy will be on their heart heads, and they will obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Father God, thank you for giving us the privilege of worshiping you in music and the reading of your word and the preaching of the same. Help us to listen to you as you speak to us through our personal time in your word and through prayer and in the godly preaching of the gospel. Give us the grace to trust in you so that we will not fear the craziest times of today or the end times in the future. Remind us that your righteousness and your salvation are everlasting for whoever would repent of their sin and trust in Jesus. Thank you for our pastor who loves you, loves your word, and he loves his flock. Put on his heart and mind what you would have him teach us 
and help us to have ears to hear and take heart to what Pastor Steve would teach us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Good to see all of you here on this Lord's Day. Those of you who are looking, looking and listening on as well, glad that you could be with us. Our backyard, we have a number of rose bushes. We have a night-blooming jasmine bush. We have two crepe myrtles. We have a bank of seven huge crepe myrtles in the yard behind us, and so they drape over the branches and the flowers into our yard. So it's really nice. Well, just the last six weeks, something new happened is now we've got sunflowers, and it's because of my wife, we have these bird feeders back there, about seven foot up, and Marcia feeds the birds, of course, but she likes feeding the squirrels, too, so she'll throw a couple scoops up in these trays up there, then she'll throw a couple scoops in the ground, and it was about five, six weeks, I says, you know, something else is growing here, and I said, I should let it grow, and I thought it might be sunflowers, behold, it was, so there's like six, maybe there's 10 or 15, probably 10 or 15, so we got six or seven Sunflowers. You all know what sunflowers are. They're beautiful. They're like the sun. That's why they call them sunflowers, because they're round, they're yellow, they're bright, and they're beautiful. And we all know that things grow. You learn this from science. Things grow because of what? Plants, that is. Because of the sun, photosynthesis. So these fun sunflowers grow because of the sun, S-U-N. But we also know, we know more so, that all things really grow because of who? Because of Christ who creates all things, as it says in Colossians 1, sustains all things. We're talking about how Jesus Christ really is the life. Today we're going to talk about how he is the light. We're going through the Gospel of John. We're seeing that Jesus keeps talking about who he is, that he is the Savior, the one who saves people from their sin, but also gives them life, spiritual life, everlasting life and eternal relationship with him and with his father and as we talk about the gospel and i mentioned this in the past but i want to remind you there's just two main things about the gospel is that jesus takes away our sin number one and secondly that he gives us life it says in in john 129 john the baptist talking it says behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world that's the first part the second part a verse in John 6, 35 says, Jesus, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never, never thirst. Important truths. Last time we talked about how Jesus was in Jerusalem. It was during the Feast of Booths. There were, of course, congregated a lot of uh, uh, the religious leaders, spiritual leaders lived in Jerusalem. Of course, they were there at this feast, and more and more, they did not like Jesus. They wanted him killed. The first verse of John 7 says the Jews were seeking to kill him in that context, meaning particularly the religious leaders. But Jesus was very popular, very, very popular, well-liked by the average Jew. I mean, think about what he was doing. He was, he was a perfect teacher. He was a great teacher. I mean, people loved to hear him teach. Secondly, he could heal people. I mean, when Jesus was around, you didn't need a doctor. I mean, think about that. There's probably less doctoring going on during the time because Jesus was going all over the country healing literally thousands of people. 
Then, of course, he could raise people from the dead, which he had done, and then and, and finally he was casting out demons. So he had all this power. And, and, and there's, there's a lot of debate and discussion. We've talked about this confusion even as to who this Jesus was. Uh, many people thought that he was the coming Messiah, that is the coming king, the one who would reign over Israel, reign over the people. And, 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 and that's true. Uh, prophesied in the Old Testament that this would happen. Um, but Jesus knew that that wasn't the time for that. Uh, he wasn't interested in being the king over uh, the world at that time, the king over the Jews. He was interested in being the savior, and that's the message that he focused on. You read the Gospels, and there's definitely references him being a king, but wasn't the main point? Not at all. It was, the main point was him being a savior, one that would die and save people from their sins. And for Jesus to be the savior, he had to be both God and man. And he told people this. By what he said, and he, he kept repeating himself in so many different ways that he was the son of God, that he was God in the flesh, that his heavenly father had sent him down to this earth to save people from their sin. In, in Luke 19, I, I like this little verse here in Luke 19, 10, it says, the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. Just a real simple purpose uh, statement uh, about his life. And of course, many Jews then knew Jesus, who he was physically. Again, there's confusion. Some people did and some people did. But, but a lot of people knew that Jesus physically was from the city of Nazareth. They knew that his parents were Mary and Joseph. But most people, the vast majority, did not have a relationship with him spiritually uh, in a godly way. And, and, and of course, anybody then who did not believe in Jesus, who wasn't born again, didn't have a relationship with Jesus or with the father himself and it's always interesting because what you see when you go through the gospels that that you have a package deal that you have the father going along with the son of course with the holy spirit as well there is the trinity and so if you know the father you know the son you know the son you know the father that was definitely what was communicated and jesus kept talking about his father i mean it is so amazing how many times he talks about his father and he of course loved his father he learned from his father he did not do anything apart from what his father wanted him to do now we've talked about how jesus is the one that saves us he saves us he, he takes away our sin he saves us from sin he saves us from death he saves us from hell but then he also gives us life he gives us his eternal life he, he richly blesses our life he shows us goodness and mercy and all these other things the verse in ephesians 3 really sums this up it says blessed be the lord God and Father, Lord, uh, Jesus Christ, who blesses us in the heavenly places with every spiritual blessing. What a phenomenal verse. Uh, you need blessings, you have them. Uh, you're not deprived of anything. You're not lacking anything. At this point in time, what you need, sometimes you think, I'm missing something. I need something else. If you have Jesus, you have all you need. I'm talking spiritually speaking. Of course, he provides our physical needs as well. John 6, we, we learned that Jesus is the bread of life, our daily, daily bread, our spiritual food. Okay, he, He's the bread of life. And in John 4, 13 and 14, turn there. There's three phrases I'm going to mention briefly here. John 4, about who Jesus is. John 6, the bread of life. John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. says, Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, 
But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So he talks there about how he then is the living water. And so he is the bread of life, and he then also is the living water. We all, of course, know that you need water. You need physical water, that is, every day to physically live, right? You need it. You have to have it. Uh, so, too, we need spiritual water to live spiritually speaking. The point here is this water in this whole context symbolizes Jesus and the life that Jesus wants to give us. So Jesus, then, is the living water. He wants to he enable us to spiritually live. He wants us, to then, to be filled up with his life. You know, the verse that sums it up uh, so succinctly better than any other verse in the Bible is the Philippians 121. To live is Christ. That is it. To live is Christ. Now go to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. It says, In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. We know in John 4 that Jesus was talking to just one woman, the woman at the well, right, at that time. At that time, he said, hey, I am the living water. Here in John 7, he is talking to thousands of people, a huge crowd of people. And he cries out because, hey, they're all going to hear. He's got to raise his voice. He raised his voice. What does he say? He says, hey, I'm, 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 this, I'm this living water. John 4, we see, talks about how he is a well of water springing up to eternal life. And here we read that he is a river of water. Spiritually speaking, a river of water. Back in those days, people get water, two main sources. You get them from wells, you get them from rivers. Not that they couldn't get it from lakes, but rivers are probably a little more fresh. We've all seen rapidly flowing rivers, right? Have you all seen a rapidly flowing river where the water's rushing along? It's fresh, it's powerful, it's strong, and, and it's not dirty, it's not smelly. It's not stagnant. You know what I mean? You understand what I'm saying. You've all seen these, whether there's a rushing creek or a rushing stream or a rushing river, you know what I mean? So too the life of God has for us is like this water. The analogy then is that it's holy and it's powerful in our lives. This living water, this spiritual water that Jesus wants to give us is, is that which is life-changing. It is that which to spiritually transform us and to refresh us, to energize us. All of us as, as Christians at times, we feel down. We get discouraged. We get spiritually tired but there's living waters to be that which refreshes and energizes, that which fills us up with his life and his love and his joy and his peace. That's what he wants. And it says there in the context, we know this is by the Holy Spirit. That's why so many verses in the Bible in the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18 says it simply, be filled with the Spirit. Okay, let's now move ahead to John 8. We're not going to cover all those verses in between. He's still there at this feast. Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is one of those loaded verses. It's got, we're really going to pretty much spend most of the rest of our time on this verse. So he's still at this temple. He's teaching the people. He makes this important and profound and powerful statement that he is the light of the world. Now, during this feast, they would, they would, they would have these four huge candelabra, and they would light these 
And, and from this, there would be this light that would just shoot up into the sky. I mean, a huge light. People all around could see this light. So in this context, he had this feast, he had these candelabra. Every night they'd light them up, and people could see this light in the sky for miles around. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. That's, that's what he sent. I am the light of the world. And, of course, Jesus is saying that he is the light of the world. He's the one who is the light for the entire world, but also he is the one, of course, who is the one, the light in our life. We sang that song, and I thought it was appropriate that Steve said, S-O-N, shine, sunshine. I f- they should change the words. You can change it next time, Marsha, if you want. Sunshine, because he wants to light up our hearts. He wants to be the sunshine in our soul. That's what he wants to do. And so when Jesus says he's the light of the world, it means the light of the whole world, not just for some people, not just for some group or some race, but for all the people in the world. He is available. He wants to light up their lives. We all understand the sun, S-U-N, right? The sun, the physical sun, lights up the whole world, right? Everybody on this planet, every person sees the sun. Sometimes it's cloudy or rainy, but you know what I'm saying? They see the sun. It's for the whole earth. And so, too, Jesus, as the light of the world, is for the entire earth. That is who he is for. His purpose, then, is to be a light to the whole world. Now, we understand back in those days, and we're going to read a couple verses in a few minutes that talk about this, that, that most people didn't experience this spiritual light of Jesus, only the minority. But I just want to shoot ahead just for a minute here to give you this picture. We'll look more in the future, even at the end of this message here. But turn to Matthew chapter 20, 24. Matthew 24. And, and what I want to point out here is this analogy of light, of Jesus being the light of the world. And this 24 is talking about the coming of Christ. We look first at verse 27, a verse that in our city of Tampa, in this part of the state, we understand very well. Just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. Not to say that lightning always comes from the east here in Tampa, but the point is we understand lightning. It can light up a huge part of the sky, especially those huge bolts. You've all seen them, right? So there's that analogy of he's coming as light. And then you go to verse 30. And this, this here is the answer to the question, the disciples' question about what is the sign of the Son of the Man. It says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And, and the, the whole t- point here is that Jesus is the Shekinah glory, and when he returns, he's going to literally light up the sky. He is the light of the world. Everybody in the world, saved or not saved, will see him. That's the point. He's coming back in full glory and full power. The light of the world, this is Christ. It will be, I tell you, we're all going to see it. It's going to be a, a most glorious experience when Jesus comes back like that. So the fact that Jesus is the light of the world is more evidence that he is God. I mean, think about sinful man. Sinful man, we'll talk about this in a few more minutes, is, is oftentimes represented by darkness. Sinful man in his darkness, spiritually speaking, in no way can ever light up the world. He just can't do it. He's darkness. Sinful man darkens the world. You see, Jesus Christ is the light of the world, the only one who can light up the world. Okay, turn to John chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. And again, this, this theme of light is, is a pretty dominant theme in, in the scriptures, and particularly we see it in the Gospel of John. 
John chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God, all things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And we're going to see here as we go through these scriptures, and John eight twelve says that, that, that the light produces life. Here we see life is light. And so it sort of goes both ways here is, is, is what I'm saying. But we know the story about 2,000 years ago. Jesus came to this world. He lived among the people. He died for our sins. He rose again and, and then went to heaven to be with his father. But as the light back 2,000 years ago, the spiritual light, Jesus came into a very dark and sinful world. There's no doubt about it. Matthew 4 describes this, talking about Jesus' time on this earth when he came. The people who were sitting in darkness, spiritual darkness that is, saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land and shadows of death, upon them a light dawned. I like that. That's really good. But I want you, I want you to go to um, Luke chapter 1. The, the same verse in the Old Testament used, but it's a little bit of more things, and this is uh, referring to John the Baptist, Zechariah's song. Luke, Luke chapter 1, verse 76 to 79 and you'll catch this. And he's, he's, he's talking about John the Baptist and John the Baptist's purpose, which, of course, is to, to make known the Messiah. And so he says there, And you, child, verse 76, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the, the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, which, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. Isn't that interesting? Talking about Jesus being the sunrise. We all understand sunrise. We've all seen sunrise. You know, it's dark in the morning, all of a sudden the sun comes up, it's beautiful, it's bright. He goes on to say, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so it's a, it's a really beautiful picture. This whole theme today, Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He's to light up our lives, spiritually speaking. There should be no darkness at all as believers because that's what God wants for us. And so... Um, now, most of the people then, of course, we see this from, in fact, let's go back to, back to John chapter 1. I didn't read these verses. John chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. John 1, 9 to 11. It says, there is a true light, that's Jesus, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. We understand this. We've heard this before. Jesus came into the world. He was the light. And, 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 and the people, that is the vast majority of the people, rejected him. They did not believe him. And therefore, they remained in the darkness. That's what happened. Now, Jesus was, was, was perfectly holy. He, he was, uh, you know, and, and, and he came to this dark and sinful world. I mean, can you imagine what that would have been like? You all know what it's like to walk in a room that's dark, right? Y'all have done it before. And, and I don't think any of us really like to just sit in a perfectly dark room. We're in a dark room, and it's, you know, we want to turn on the light. We want there to be light. We want to be able to see the things in the room. So here's Jesus. Think about this from a spiritual perspective. He, he, he came to this world. He's perfectly holy. He's the light of the world. He lived in this sin-dominated, sin-infected, spiritually dark world. And he came in this one. I just 
can't but help but think that he didn't like it. That is, doesn't mean he sinned when he didn't like it, but it was probably hard for him. Perfectly holy, all this sin. All of us have been around unbelievers who are really, really sinful, and it's sort of hard to be around people like that. We're talking Jesus could sense every bit of sin all the time. He knew what was going on in the world, and I can't but help but think it was, it was quite difficult for him. But he knew his purpose. He said, I'm here to be what? What's my purpose? My purpose is to light up this world, spiritually speaking. That's what he wanted to do. Turn to John chapter 3. Again, this analogy of light and darkness, 19 to 21. That's in the context of the for God so loved the ver world verse, which is verse 16, verse 19. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. That's the general assessment of, of humankind, of what happened back then and what happens throughout history, okay? Men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds are evil. So it connects this darkness with their evil deeds. It goes on, for everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed, but he who practices the truth comes to the light so his deeds, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. So the people love their own sin. They, they love evil. They love the darkness. They did not love Christ. It says they hated Christ. That's what we understand. And, and one of the reasons is because Christ would expose them. I mean, even if he was teaching and they're standing there or sitting there listening, uh, you know, they had to be convicted because he was the light and he was preaching about what was true and right and just and holy and and they were in sin, and they didn't like to be exposed for this. And all of us, I, I think most of us probably, back when we were young and kids and stuff, and we're at home, and, and, and the parents are gone, the parents come back, and, uh-oh, parents caught me doing something I ought not to do, you see. And so, you know, when, when, there's, when there's darkness, when the light's not there, so to speak, then we can feel free to do what we want. So they didn't like it because Jesus was telling them that what they are doing was wrong. That's why many people wanted to kill him. We all understand the concept of turning lights on and off. You do it every day of your life. You know, you're in a dark room. You turn on the light, and you turn it off when you leave, right? What the, what, what the, this, what the Jews, the Jewish leaders want to do is what? They wanted to turn off the light. That was their objective. Let's kill this guy. We've got to turn him off. We've got to shut him down. That's what they wanted to do, and they did do it. They, they got their objective, and for a couple of days, they were probably pretty happy. Probably had a few parties there, you know, after Jesus was crucified on that Friday, that good Friday. But he rose from the dead. <laughs> the light was not put out. It's a wonderful, wonderful truth that we all know. And so, as it was back then, it is today. We look at the world. We see all this sin. We'll see this darkness, whether it's in a person's life, whether it's in a family, whether it's in a school, whether it's in a, uh, some city or our country or the government. We see it uh, in movies. We see it on shows. We see it on the Internet. We hear it on songs. We hear about all this sin. And, and even in the churches, there is darkness in some churches that aren't preaching the truth, the light they're preaching, the darkness. It really is. is and, I, and I've said this before, but as, as I've, you know, I'm a little older in my years now, as many of you are here, I cannot believe the last 10, 15 years. Those of you who are younger don't understand this. If you, if you were alive back in the 50s and the 60s, you says, wow, things are really getting bad. They are really going south. I mean, it's bad. It's evil. It's wicked. There's a lot of darkness. And it's the truth of, of 2 Timothy 3, which I've mentioned, is, is, is clearly true in our world, is that evil men 
are going from bad to worse. And, and I, I follow things really every day of the week, what's going on in the world, and it's just obvious. And it's really sad. I mean, it's hard. This spiritual darkness comes from sin. Sin is a source of all spiritual darkness. You know, you heard about this guy a week ago, whenever it was, two weeks ago, up in Buffalo, and he killed 10 people in a store. It's, it's bad. And, and, and people can say, well, that's mental illness. Well, yes, it is. Sinners are mentally ill. That's true. That's true. And, but, but I know, I know there's some kind of people that are really mentally ill, and there's every sinner to some degree is mentally ill. That, I guess that's what I'm saying. But wherever he's at on that spectrum, he was mentally ill. There's no doubt about it because sin affects our mind and our thinking. But really, sin is that which is the source, okay? People said, well, that guy was a racist. Well, could have been. That might have been true. Okay, that's fine. But the bottom line is sin. Uh, we, we keep dodging this. Sin, sin is the source of all evil and darkness. It's in the heart of a person, the dark heart of a person where these dark evil deeds come from. That's what we're saying. Proverbs 2.13 says, Those who leave the paths of uprightness walk in the ways of darkness. Proverbs 4.19, The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Isaiah 5.20, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute light darkness for light and light for darkness. In our world today, so many people are deceived. I mean, I just cannot believe it. When people are saying that light is darkness and darkness is light, it just, it just, it just blows me away. I, it's just not incomprehensible. But it's important, and we're not going to go to it today, but you all know we've referred to it, the Romans verses, Romans 1, chapter, Romans 1, verse 18, at the end of the chapter. If you want to understand more, just have a more of a conviction of what's going on in people's life, you have to read those verses. That is the key section in the whole Bible. It sums it up. Romans 1, 18 to the end of the chapter. And it talks three times there about how God gives them over to, to their sin. God, it's okay. If you want to sin, I'll let you sin. That's what happens. But the final verse in that little triad there is verse 28. It says, God gave them over to a depraved mind. Okay, and so we see this. We're just seeing it more and more. I'm thinking, where in world did the person get that kind of thinking well they're they're going from bad to worse their mind is depraved god says okay you want to sin i'll let you sin i will let you sin and we see it in all kinds of ways and i'm not going to give examples now so it's tragic that people walk in darkness but it's their own fault for their sin person can't blame anyone else for his sin and the darkness that results and the bad things that happen, the worries, and the fears, and the conflicts, and the lack of love and joy and peace and everything else. They cannot blame anybody else. But we see we live in a blame shift world. We've lived in a blame shift world since Adam and Eve. We know the story with that Adam and Eve. She blamed him, and, and of course the devil got blamed. But it, sin isn't is in the heart of, of a man. That's 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 where it's at. Turn to John twelve. More verses on this theme of light and darkness. John 12, 35 and 36. Verse 35, so Jesus said to them, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. He walks in the darkness, does not know where he goes. That's a sad commentary. Sinners don't know where they are going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. And so 
we talk about darkness, we talk about sin, we know that God judges those who are sinners, but the good news is that, 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 that Jesus saves those whom his Father has chosen, those who then come to him and believe that he indeed died to pay for their sins. Acts 26, 15, and then verse 18. It's about Paul here. For this purpose I've appeared to you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. So there's here the connection between darkness and the devil and light and God. Okay. The next verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, 5. You are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night and darkness. So another way to talk about who are we as Christians? We are sons of light. We are sons of the day. That's who we are. And so as, as believers, because of Christ, because of God, we are light in the Lord. We are then children of light, and we are then to live like children of light. We are to be lights in this world. We are to be ones then who do that which is, is, is pure and that which is holy. Whereas Jesus is the light of the whole world, each of us here are little lights. Little lights. I like this. We're little lights. And wherever we go, we're to be a light to the people that we're with. And I'm not talking about, you know, this is corny, but it's not like you have a little light bulb on the top of your head. You understand that, spiritually speaking. And there's many different qualities of a Christian's life that, that I could suggest to you that would, you know, hey, this is what a person with spiritual light has. But probably three basics, these are the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, is love, joy, peace. So you walk into some room, people, whether they're saved or unsaved, okay? You've all done this. You've all walked into some place where there's people. Could be the grocery store, could be some other store you're shopping, it could be a, a reunion, it could be any place. And and if people see you and they can tell that you're loving and friendly, they can sense this guy's got some joy. You know, he can see your face, your count, he's not bummed out. He's got peace. There's love, there's joy, there's peace. They recognize that. And I don't think sometimes we realize that as Christians, we go someplace and we have love, joy, and peace, and, and people can sense that we're different. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 talks about how some people don't like that. They want to get away from people like us because we smell the wrong way. It talks about our smell. There's good smells and bad smells, and Christians have good smells, and the unbelievers don't like that good smell. They try to get out of there. So, so, so picture, I want you to picture this for yourself. When you're going someplace, I don't care, you know, you're out of your home, you're going someplace, are you a light? Are you a little light? Is that what you are? This is what God wants. Turn to Matthew chapter Five, you know these verses, but we'll read them. Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So he's talking to the believers in general. Okay, Christ is gone. Now we have this church. He's talking about the church. It's to be the light of the world. And that's what we're to do. Collectively, it's a church, and you know, cities and countries all over the world were to be the light. Nor does a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Okay, so if you're someplace, some room, Christians, non-Christians, you're to be a light to all the people there. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It doesn't say there whether that people there are saved or not but the point is the ultimate goal is that god gets glory turn to one other section this is and we're going to go through this quickly just read it through ephesians 5 
this is this is an excellent section on this light and darkness, and it's very practical. But I just want to, again, read it through, and you can look at it more later yourself. Ephesians five, begin at verse eight. Verse eight: You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. That's another way to say, well, what is this light? Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. That's interesting. And it doesn't mean by your, just by your life, but there are times when God wants us to talk to unbelievers about their sin, to expose them. It is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason, it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Great verses. God wants us to be light. And we have to understand because, you know, we all see sinful people in this world, and they say, God, are you going to either save them or take care of them? And you know what I mean by that. God will, God is merciful. God is just. Wait for the Lord. He will do what he wants to do in his time. There's no doubt about that. And so as, as Christians then, we think about the light being light to them. We should have compassion on the lost. And I can't help but think all of us need to grow in having compassion on the lost. Sometimes there's sinners out there and we don't like them. And then we say, God, judge them now, today. I'm tired of these guys. Compassion, compassion, compassion. You need to love them with a love that Jesus loved you before you were saved. You need to pray for them. Pray that God would show mercy upon them. The Bible says love your enemies. And pray for your enemies. That God would have mercy on them. That God would show them their sin and show them that they are guilty. And then pray for open doors. This is Colossians chapter 4. God opens doors so you can share the gospel with them. And by God's grace, then some... Not all, but some people will get saved as we share the gospel with them. Let's go back to John chapter 8, verse 12. This is our real key verses for this morning. John chapter 8, verse 12. As I said, there's a lot in here. John 8, 12. Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So, there's a, there's a key word in this verse that relates then to having the light of God, of Christ in our lives, and it's the word follow. It's the word follow. Okay, Jesus is the leader, right? And he wants to lead us, and we're, we're to go after him. We're to follow him. That's what we are to do. It says in Luke 9, if anyone wants to Come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. And so he wants us to follow him, and not at a distance, but close behind. There's a verse, and I like these verses, Job 23, 10 to 12. says, he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I'll come forth as gold. My feet have closely followed his steps. I've not turned away from following him. I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Great verses on trials. Job 23, 10 through 12. But he says there, I've followed the Lord. My feet have closely followed his steps. I've kept to his way and have not turned aside. So important to think about this. As, as, as Christians, we're all followers, but are you doing a good job of following the Lord? And that, again, relates to this light here. To follow Jesus means we know him. 
It means we trust him. It means we love him. It means we're learning from him. It means we are willing to do what he wants and to go where he wants us to go. I mentioned this thought last week that this willingness to do what God wants is very important. That is, if, if you could hear God every morning say to you, are you, gonna, are you willing to do whatever I want you to do today, what would you say? You might hesitate. Because sometimes we don't like the assignments that God gives. I mean, some of mine are relatively, I don't say easy, some are hard. I don't like them, okay? I'll be honest, I just don't. My flesh don't like them, but that's, it is. We all have different assignments, and just follow me. We stay close to him, it's going to be all right. So when we turn from that's when we have problems. And so those who are, follow Jesus are his followers, his disciples, and we're not following sinful people in the world. That's why you have this Psalm 1 in the first verse in Psalm 1. It says, hey, don't go after bad people. I mean, it's so interesting. The, the first verse in the book of Psalms starts with a negative. Don't be with bad people. Don't read bad things. Don't watch bad things. Don't listen to people that are evil. Don't do it. You'll be led astray. Wants us to know that. First John chapter 1, verse 5. More verses on the light. As you can see, this is again a major subject. This light, this darkness. First John 1. Again, this is John, the same John that wrote the gospel. It's obvious that he liked this theme of, of light and darkness and wrote about it. First John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him. Announced to you that God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, God is light. This, of course, means that Jesus is light. It says there's no darkness, there's no sin in them at all. That means they're perfectly holy. We know that. But this passage talks about one major aspect of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, specifically that we won't be ones who are walking in the darkness, but we're walking in the light. This is very important for our lives, walking in the light, but not in the darkness. When a Christian then confesses his sins, he is practicing the truth. He's experiencing the forgiveness of God, and he then is in the light. And so if as a Christian you knowingly sin, you want to confess that sin. That's practicing the truth. That's then experiencing forgiveness. That's then, you know, being in the light. And that's then, as these verses say, having fellowship with God. Because sin, knowing sin, known sin in our lives keeps us from having fellowship with God the Father, and the Son. But we also understand it keeps us in fellowship with one another. Because these verses, fellowship with the Father and the Son, fellowship with others as believers, and a fellowship with believers is essential for our lives. There's just some Christians, you know, there's different issues they got, but one of the, maybe the main things is some Christians don't have fellowship. A person needs to be in fellowship or else he will have difficulties in his life. Back to John chapter 8. John 8, verse 12 says, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. The whole point here, and these are just very general truths but that can be specifically applied, is the light gives life. Okay? It's a, it's a, very, it's a very, very simple thing. If we follow Jesus, we'll have the light of life. 
we've been talking about sin and darkness and the point that Jesus is a light means then that he is the way then that we won't walk in darkness but then we'll experience the life the spiritual life the love joy peace purpose everything else you want to say is life that's how we experience it because of this light of being holy and being righteous it's it's foundational light is so important I mean you understand this every morning you get up I don't know what time you get up, but if you get up around probably, I don't know, 6, 6, 30, 7, I mean, in terms of thinking when sunrise is, is you'll turn on the light, correct? I mean, let's say it's 6, 30. You're going to turn on the light because you're not going to walk around in darkness. Then the day comes, 8, 8, 30, a little later, you know, you turn the lights off. I mean, some people, my wife, like, she likes little side lights. You have a little lamp here that's lit up. That's fine. But you don't need all the light because you've got the sun coming through the windows. And at nighttime, what do you do? What is about 8, about 8 o'clock, 7.38? What do you do? You turn the lights back on. Okay? I mean, the, the analogy is simple. The way that you live and conduct your life is when there's light. I don't care if it's work. I don't care if it's making a meal. I don't care if it's fellowship, talking to somebody. You have to have the light on to have life. That's all we're saying here. You have to have the light of Jesus in your life if you can experience the life that he wants for you. And so being holy, then, is foundational to experiencing this life as Christians and to the entirety of our life as Christians. Romans chapter 6. Go to Romans 6. You can jot down Ephesians 4, 20 to 24 as well. We're not going to take the time to look at all these verses. But Romans 6, and the, and the point we're talking about here is light and being righteous and being holy. That's, that's the point. Romans 6 is, is the, one of the classic chapters about how to, to live a righteous and holy life as a Christian. Verse 12 to 13, two key verses here. It says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. It just says as Christians, man, don't let sin be there. Get rid of it. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness to present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. This is, this is one of the most important verses. You presenting, that is you on a daily basis, Lord, here I am. I don't want me, my body, my mind, I, I don't want to be used for unrighteousness, for, for bad things, for evil. I want to be used for you. That, that, that's what we're saying here. It's, it's a very simple, basic truth of giving yourself to God. It starts with that because if you're going along through the day and, and oh, man, fall into some kind of sin, well, hey, it's, it starts in the morning. Here, Lord, here I am, another day. I give myself, my mind, my body, my thoughts to you. Use me. Use my whole life, my whole being. That's what that one song, it's classic. It's, uh, I'll just sing it sometime, Take My Life and Let It Be. It just, it's just so good. It, it covers so much about our lives and how we need to present ourselves then to the Lord. So being holy then, being righteous, not walking in the darkness, but walking in the light then is, is, is important for our life as Christians, for our everyday life as, as, as Christians. I'm not going to, I haven't written down, but I'm not going to take the time here, is Proverbs 10 through 12 are, are classic chapters on righteousness. You, you go to those chapters and it's probably, I don't know, 30 to 35 Verses in those three chapters, 10, 11, and 12, that have the word righteousness in them, which means being holy. But it's real practical. It's how to be practically righteous. They're good examples. So read through 
10 through 12, you might even circle the first references, 10 through 12, you'll find 30, maybe 40 different verses there that all relate to righteousness. And it's just so, so important. Okay, back to John chapter 8. We'll move on to the next verses, 13 to 18. Pharisees said to him, you're, you're testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered and said to them, well, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from, and I know where and where I'm going, but you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I'm not judging anyone, but even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I am the Father who sent me. Even in your law it has been written that the testimony of two men is true, I am who I am he who testifies about myself and the father who sent me also testifies about me. So here I read this word true. The Pharisees are saying that Jesus testimony what he was talking about and he talked, you know, day after day for about 3 years about who he was. They say it's not true. And in doing that, I mean, here's these Pharisees, these leaders, they're saying Jesus, you're a liar. You're a liar. So Jesus defends himself and he has three basic arguments here in these verses that I'll mention briefly. First, his testimony is true. And it was true. Jesus was the truth. He is the truth. He'll always be the truth. All who Jesus is and all what Jesus does is the truth. It says in John 1, it says from him, it says grace and truth were realized through Jesus. That's verse 17 of John 1. Verse 14 says he's full of grace and truth. So Jesus is truth, and he is the truth. A little story, I was watching the news briefly this morning. It was a story about some school, and I'm not going into the details, but I just want to make one main point. It's about a school, and an elementary school, and the different books for the kids and stuff, and this one book, it really wasn't a good book. I'm not going to go into the details of what this book was, but it wasn't good. It wasn't really right or true. It wasn't based on righteousness, but it's for kids, okay, to learn, quote, learn things. And they're talking about people there that, in their minds, weren't good people and things and were bad people. And then, so the question came, and there's a little book, little pictures and words and stuff. The question is, well, does Jesus love this person? And the book said, of course Jesus loves this person. And, 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 and it, the point is this, and I want to look back up 100 years ago. It was about 1920s, 1930s, when the emphasis in this country, and it started way over in Europe, places over in Germany, is that the Bible is not completely true. It's not completely true. But all the verses about Jesus being loving, oh yeah, that's, that's true. And so you've been seeing that in these churches where the churches are getting away from the truth. And you see this with unbelievers. You see this as this unbelieving book, okay. And oh yeah, Jesus loves this person. But Jesus tells the truth. And they skip that part been skipping it around this country in many churches for a hundred years now. Jesus tells the truth, and he's telling the truth, and that's the whole theme of these verses right here. I am the truth. I am the truth, and I speak forth the truth. And this little old book for kids has got to fill a bunch of lies. But Jesus tells the truth. They skip that part, and I see this. I, I know people like this, unbelievers. Jesus loving. Jesus tells the truth. They skip that part, okay? But, but we have to always remember, and that's what Jesus was doing here. He is loving, but he's also filled with truth, and I've already said this. That people liked Jesus when he was loving, but they didn't like him when he told the truth, right? They did not like it. People will like you when you tell them, then when you love them, but they won't 
usually like it when you tell them the truth. They do not want their sinful life then to be exposed. Second, Jesus said his testimony was true. And of course it was, for Jesus knew where he had come from and where he was going. Okay, here's the second point. The first one, Jesus himself is, is true. That's just who he is and what he's like. He's always been, always, he's true and he speaks forth the truth. The second one, I know where I've come from. I know where I'm going. He had been with the Father since eternity past. He came to this earth. He died on the cross to pay for sins. He rose again from the dead. He now is in heaven, right? We know that. Right hand of the Father. He's there. He's going to come back in not too many years from now, whether it's 10, 20, 50, I don't know. He's coming back to this earth. He's going to do what? Rapture the saints shortly after that. Take over the world, reign for a thousand years. Jesus knows all that. I mean, think about your life. Do you know what's going to happen in the future? James forces, don't even go there. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You really don't. You really don't know what your future is like. You know your, where you came from, but when you were 10 years old, you didn't know your future. Jesus said, I know who I am. I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. And so basically, the, his the purpose of his life conveyed the truth. That is, when we talk about truth, it means who you are, but it also relates to what you do. And that's what he said. But there's one more point he says here. It's important. He says that his judgments were true. Judgments is a word that means knowledge. It means understanding. It means decisions. It means discernment. It means all those different things. And he said that he says his decisions were not just his own, but they were God's. We talked about this already. Jesus would only do and say that which the Father wanted him to say or do. So what he's saying is, I am true because I am from my Father, and my Father is true. I'm true because of who I am. I'm true because of what I do, my purpose, and I'm true because I have this relationship with the Father. So he's trying to convey to them, hey, I am the truth. You need to listen to me. And by saying this, Jesus was saying that he was God, that he wasn't making any decisions, earthly, worldly decisions like the Pharisees, but rather he was the one who was telling them the truth, and he's always telling them the truth. That's what he was doing. So it's important as we finish here, if we read his words, Jesus' words, and I have a red letter edition, I like, any of you have a red letter edition? I like it. Whether you read his words or the words of God in the entirety of this book here, they're true. And we need to believe them. We need to obey them. We need to trust them. And that's how we can live. That's how the, the light of life then can be in us. It's the word of God. It's, as I mentioned with Job 23, verse 12, I think it is. I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So a key, an important key for you then to be walking in the light is to be in the word of God. Because the word of God is that which, that which then will give you light. I want you to, we're going to close with just a few verses. The last book of the Bible, Revelation 22. I mentioned before how Jesus came in the world. He says, I'm the light of the world. Not everybody knew that. A lot of people rejected him. I mentioned Matthew 24 about when he comes back the second time, not many years from now, he's going to light up this world physically speaking. Revelation 22, very interesting here. I want to read just the, this first seven verses. This is after the millennial kingdom. Showed me a river of the water of life, <laughs> another river, the water of life, clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing, really, the health of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their forehead. And there will no longer be any night, they will not have any need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, 
because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. Interesting. Jesus is the light of the world. And that's where we're going to see it, really see it. Verse 6, he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. We bless you for your words. There's a lot here. It's all summed up, and as we talk about today, is that you, Lord Jesus, are the light of the world, and we want you to be the light in our life, the sunshine in our soul. That's what we desire. We know, Lord, that even as Christians, we sometimes walk in the darkness, Lord, that sometimes we're holding on to some sin, doing something we ought not to do. I pray, Lord, that more and more we be once you readily are transparent with you and confess our sins so we can then truly walk in the light and have fellowship with you and have fellowship with other believers. I just pray that you'd help us, Lord, as, as Christians in this church here, once you're listening on, to be ones who, who um, Lord, are living the way we're supposed to, are practicing the, the truth. Now, that's what we desire, and we ask you, Father, to help us. We need your grace. Every one of us here would admit that we do things we ought not to do, that we're weak, that we get tired, that our, our flesh, our sinful flesh can be strong at times, so we ask you for your grace. We want to be a, a holy church. We want to be ones as a church, ones holy. We also we want to be ones, as I said before, we go places and we light up the room. I mean, spiritually speaking, we light up the room, not by just talking a lot, it's by our life, by our character, by the way we love people and treat people and listen to people, Lord, and share with them, Lord, and the peace we exhibit even in the midst of trials and difficulty. Help us, Lord, to be ones who are the light, as we read then in Matthew chapter 5 as well. But thank you again for each one here. Thank you for this church, Lord. Just lead us and guide us and use us in the way that you want. I pray you'd use us in ministry, use us in the gospel. Lord, pray for your protection from the evil one. We need that as well. Those who couldn't be here for whatever reason, God, we pray for them as well. Pray for Bethel. Thank you for Raphael and the leaders there and their church, Lord, and their heart to follow you, Lord. And even in a few weeks, their Bible, uh, their uh, vacation Bible school, we pray for your blessing on that as well. But thank you for them that we can join together and be in ones who then are being uh, lights for you. But thank you again for this time. Now we pray all this in Jesus' name. Activity-wise, we have our Bible study time coming up this Wednesday. If you're able to come out, um, that'll be this Wednesday evening. And then uh, Saturday, we'll have a work day. If you're available in the morning, say 8 to noon, we'll have several projects around the church to, to get done. Um, so that'll be this Saturday, 8 a.m. to noon. And then, as Steve just mentioned, uh, Bethel will have a, a vacation Bible school. And you're welcome to uh, sign up kids or get involved yourself if you like. There's some information on the back table in the foyer out here um, where you can uh, ask uh, someone at Bethel, Raphael, and so forth. Feel free to do that. And today we have Matthew Meal, so if you're available to stick around and have lunch together in Fellowship Hall when the... Uh, doors open we'll head back to have uh, lunch together that'll be great and then what a good message um, from Steve on 
just being a small light uh, for, you know, with uh, being the body of Christ, just a good uh, challenge to us. Um, and our church provides uh, opportunities to plug in to be that light. Um, just wanted to remind you of the different ministries, opportunities to serve. I just mentioned a few of them to you. Um, but it is a challenge, and uh, just uh, keep in mind to initiate, not to sit back and wait for somebody to ask you to be involved, you know, the, to uh, take that step and, and uh, get involved with uh, uh, ministry here or just reach out to somebody relationship-wise in the church to uh, build those relationships that are important. So now we have our last songs. And a reminder for offering, you can put it in the box on the back table or mail it in or give online. Thank you. Stand with us as we sing our last couple of songs. First one is a great song with a great message of lifting the name of Jesus everywhere we go. Uh, Paul always said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed of the name of Jesus. But we want to lift him up wherever we go. your name on high. Lord, I'd love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show away from the earth to my debt to pay from the cross to the grave from the grave to the sky Lord I lift your name on high Lord I lift your name on high Lord I love to sing your praises I'm so glad you're in my life I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross. My debt to pay from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross my debt to pay from the cross to the grave from the grave to the sky Lord I lift your name on high Lord I lift your name on 
And with a great hymn, all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. That would include the rest of us too in heaven as we worship at the throne. Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, Lord of Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, Lord of all. He chose seed of Israel's race, be ransomed from the fall. Hail him who saved you by his grace, and crown him Lord of all. Hail him who saved you by his grace, and crown him terrestrial ball to him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all to him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all oh that with yonder sacred And crown him Lord of all. We'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. Let's first thank the Lord for our meal. Father, thank you so much for this time today that we can have being with you and fellowship with one another. Just thank you for the food you give us too. So kind to give us this food, God. You mm-hmm. are blessing to us in every way. Just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. From Revelation chapter 1, we read, To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. 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 Thank you. 